Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church. I am here with the PMB, Pastor Matt Brown, and our very special guest, Brett Ryan. Welcome back to the show. I don't know yeah. about very or special, <laughs> but I, he's here. Him being special does not take that away from you. Yes. So. You still hold that. Yeah. As an unhealthy three, I need all the attention squarely <laughs> focused on myself, and uh, I need to not be challenged because mm. I am also high eight. So Yeah. And yeah. as an eight, I know where the power is in the room. Yes. Mm, that's cr- it's clearly over here, not over there. <laughs> and tonight I'm going to sit back and let you guys have your little thing, and mm. I'll bring us back around to where we're She's here. She's going to passively, aggressively <laughs> yeah. resist. So anyway, if you guys are done having your weird competitive conversation, mm. um, so we are so excited to be digging back into the Enneagram here at Sandals Church. And as we kick off this whole nine-week conversation that we have, we wanted to start off with just starting to understand where we're coming from. So that's why we've got Brett here today. And we wanted to start talking through some topics in psychology, our perspectives, um, how all of that starts to fit in when we unpack our personalities and how that then affects our relationships. The whole purpose of this series is not just to look at ourselves and our personalities, but start to look at how our personality and our Enneagram styles affect our relationships. Yeah. So we want to start the conversation with understanding where we're coming from and some of those hidden perspectives we have that maybe we're not realizing we bring to the table. Yeah. So can you kind of talk about why you wanted to start here? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I'm going to answer your question, then I'm going to I'm I'm going to start somewhere else. So I think a lot of churches are very uncomfortable with the idea of psychology and particularly many churches are very uncomfortable with the idea of the Enneagram. And I think psychology is, is a modern invention. It's a modern, uh, social studies, um, or in the, in this, what is it in the Humanities? social sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the apostle Paul is really the first psychologist where he begins to try to understand the psyche and the soul. And in Romans 7, right, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the very things I find myself not wanting to do, I, you know, I, that what he's doing is he's analyzing behavior, and he's looking mm-hmm. at people. And so much of the New Testament is, an anal- is, is analyzing people, and we have this conflict between our flesh, our desires, and our spiritual uh, desires. And there's this tension mm-hmm. in there. And, and those things are also affected by um, our ethnicity, our gender, our culture, our socioeconomic status, our experiences, all of these things make up who we are. And I learned early on that it's not okay for me just to preach to people as if everybody's coming at life from my perspective. Mm. That's a very unhealthy way to preach to a congregation. And I think that's why, and I don't want this to be offensive if you're listening to this podcast and you have a small church. But if you have a small church, I would really, really look at the way that you view your congregation, you view, view life, and many pastors of small churches view, view life very simplistically, and they preach to a very narrow audience. And so that means is very few people are going to connect with what you're saying. I try to um, look at it from a very, very different context. Um, I often start sermons with, nobody believes with me, agrees with me, thinks like me, and I try to come at, at it from that perspective. And it's just because I understand that the world is different. And so mm-hmm. what that allows is more people to come and, and, and hear your message. Like, I'm not a woman. I didn't know if you guys knew that. I, I'm not a woman. <clears throat> Stephanie knew that. Uh, you had questions, right? <laughs> um, I'm not a woman. And so I have to get input from, from women. I have, I have strong uh, wife who gives me input and I have to listen to that. Even mm-hmm. when I don't agree, think through that. Uh, like I'm white. California is is very non-white. I mean, that's just the reality. I think whites are actually a minority in California, which, you know, if you're listening from Texas or, you know, Nebraska, I guess is a better example. You're like, 
what? I thought everybody was white. No, not in California. We're not. So we're a very, very ethnically diverse culture. So people are coming at it from different perspectives. Uh, people are coming, uh, most people at Sandals are coming from a non-Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, so really what's driving them in their decision-making is not the gospel. It's not scripture. It's their own psychology and their own personal understanding of, of, of who they are and what they think. And, mm-hmm. and I hear this all the time. Well, here's what I think. Mm-hmm. And here's how I feel. And so as Christians, right, we need to deal with that. But ultimately, we want to we we think like Jesus, we want to feel like Jesus, and, and we want to act like Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. That's, what we, that's what it means to be a Christian. So for me to get people where they need to be, they need to see where they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that specifically the Enneagram is the most helpful tool in helping you to discover where you are. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's where I am. What are my growth points? What are my strengths? What are my struggles? And, um, and I think that that's, that's so important. And so I think that, we, we need to, as a church, address our differences. They don't, they, they don't magically disappear when we come to Christ. They're still there. Uh, we're all saved the same way, which I think is really the misunderstanding of Galatians. You know, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither male nor female, um, right? There is neither circumcised or uncircumcised, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're all the same. It means we're, we're all saved the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and I think Paul's point in that passage about circumcision and the reason women are included in that is women weren't circumcised and yet are saved through faith in Christ as now are men. And so we have to remember that we have differences. And the greatest issue the early church faced is still the same issue we face. A lot of people think it was heresy. And yeah, that's always a struggle, but it's also ethnicity. It's, it's masses amounts of different people, different cultures, different ideologies, different ways of thinking coming into the church and ultimately directing the church one way or the other. And uh, there's a verse in the Bible I'm going to use. Um, well, actually, I'm going to use, I used last weekend. It's weird because I haven't preached this sermon yet, but um, I'm going to use, and it's take every thought captive to Christ. Mm. And a lot of people, like at least when I was a kid, you know, we use that for lust. Like I'm lusting. Well, you're 15 years old. Welcome to life. Uh, thank you, Kelly. <laughs> Our producer laughed out there. Um, that, that, uh, verse has nothing to do with lust or emotions. It has to do with philosophies, cultural mm-hmm. philosophies, political philosophies. And it says Christ has to take that captive because the church is constantly being influenced by culture. Mm-hmm. And so some things are okay in culture and some things are not okay. And so we, we have to say, okay, w- what about me needs to change, um, you know, fr- from my culture. So like from a white culture, we're all white. Um, I think that we have very, very broken families, very, very disconnected families. We struggle with that. I think that's, that's a white culture thing. And so I think our, our talk on families is going to be more specific for us. If you're Hispanic, like your culture is dominated by family. And so the struggle for you is going to be getting time for church community and church service because your culture dominates your time with family. And so we're coming at it from two perspectives. So I can appreciate Hispanic culture and say, man, I wish I had some more family and I wish we were closer and more unified. Um, But the Hispanic culture can say, gosh, I wish I had a break from my family so that I could serve God, be in a small group and grow in my faith. Because as great as family is, if you're going to become like Christ, Right, there's going to be some things in your family, in your ethnicity, in your culture that are not Christ-like. Some things are, some things are not, and so we all have to, you know, come from that, and so and just understand that that it's different. 
It's just absolutely different. And there are positive negatives about every culture. There are positives and negatives about gender. There's positives and negatives about age. And we got to talk about that in a way then where we go, hey, we're all supposed to become like Christ. You know, I love that verse that uh, Pastor Andrew used last weekend where he talked about like our heart, our minds, and our souls need to change and be conformed to Christ. Like there's this there's this process that we all have to undergo and um, and that's a difficult process. And mm-hmm. um, But we need to undertake it. And I think the Enneagram is a helpful tool to help us change. So the Bible helps us understand God, understand our mission, and it points out a deep problem with ourselves. But it doesn't specifically tell us what our problem might be. I think the Enneagram helps us specifically identify sin. So I don't. I, I talked for a long time. Mm. No, that was super helpful. Okay. Yeah. Brett, I would love for you to kind of unpack some Pastor Matt, you talked about our culture, you talked about our gender, <clears throat> a lot of those things that play into kind of our um, perspective, where we're coming from. Can you talk about some of the things that maybe we're not aware of that we bring to the table when we enter into relationships with people or even start to process our Yeah, faith? as a redhead, can you enlighten us? <laughs> yeah, what's that like for you? Yeah, as a very, very specific minority group. <laughs> very yeah and by the way if you don't know this redheads are going extinct we need to pray for you yeah mm-hmm. yeah did uh, you know that i didn't know that mm-hmm. i didn't know that but i'm here yes so now we have record but with that... global warming you guys may not be here, <laughs> may not be here <laughs> yeah. anymore. um yeah so you know uh part of the thing that we don't understand is that all of our relational uh interactions that we've had throughout most of our lives they're playing out in our present and right. so helping people understand that is important especially when we talk about the enneagram and the motivations right and what we're struggling with and where we're at you know <clears throat> a lot of that uh is impacted by uh some of our earlier years of development, um, some of our interactions. Uh, You know, I think uh, Pastor Adam said it really well, kind of tied that in when he preached uh, a couple weeks ago where he talked about, you know, when that kid poured something over his head and he knew the world wasn't safe. Yeah. Right. And and so there's all these things. So what a lot of people don't realize um, is that when we're growing up and we've talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, when we're born, the right hemisphere of our brain that controls, you know, some of the emotions, some of the more uh, creative and meaningful things uh, is developing a lot uh, more rapidly than the left side of our brain, which is logic, analytical. Um, And so as we're kids, you know, these little babies, if you look at a baby and you smile at a baby, right, they're able to smile back, uh, you know, once they get to a certain state of development, Um, but they're taking in information and experiences and they can't always make meaning out of those experiences. And as kids get older, right? When you got a, a a little child in a home where dad's coming home and he's drunk all the time and he's yelling at the kid, this little kid doesn't have the developmental processes to go, wow, dad's a jerk when he drinks and this is an alcohol problem. Um, and you know, he'll get better in time. Yeah. What the kid does is internalize it. Uh, I'm bad. I'm wrong. It grows a sense of shame, grows a sense of identity. And we all have different interactions like that. Some of us don't grow up with alcoholic fathers or abuse or things like that, but we all have experiences like that in our lives that throughout our life, what happens is we start to own these messages mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in our brains, in the way we interact in our relationships. And a lot of times we're looking, are people going to confirm or deny the message that yeah. either I'm hoping for or that I'm most scared of? Right. right. So now later on in life, it's not that, you know, Bob didn't get a promotion at work. It's that this 
this confirms that I'm a failure because right. I was passed up, right? <clears throat> All this is tied into that. And what I really like about the Enneagram as, as an assessment tool is the understanding that helps us get a little bit of a window into maybe what we might be battling because the reality is, we want to push off pain. We want to push off hardship. We naturally don't want to go towards those things. That's right. that's why people come to church because all this is now so overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. I need something more. And that's where Christ comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we're talking about relationships, you know, the reality is when you're sitting down in a relationship or a friendship, it's not just you, it's all your experiences. And all of those things are interacting with that person in yeah. front of you. Yeah. Amen. What are some ways for people to maybe, so we've got, if you've had a chance to take the Enneagram and you've seen some of yourselves, what are some other ways for people to start unpacking some of those experiences that maybe you've always, or just in the back of your mind, but you don't realize you're bringing them to, what are some ways to start discovering those, finding those? Mm. Yeah. I think it's through honest conversation, maybe with a counselor, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're married with your spouse. And, um, you know, one of the things like, so as we look at the triads, um, if you're married, a great conversation would be, uh, you know, if you're in the gut triad, you're instinctual. How do you just go to autopilot? Mm. Like you're not even aware that you're running on autopilot. And that's what the instinctual triad does. So as the eight, I'm just, I'm just going to attack things that I, I feel like are unjust or wrong. And, um, you know, a good friend of mine, and he, I don't know if he's going to listen to this podcast. He's like, I'm an eight. You know, he gets thrown out of like every basketball game, you know, his son's in, you know, and it's just like, are you going to yell today? And he's like, I'm going to be quiet. And he just, you know, it's just like, boom. And that's just his personality. Um, but he says he doesn't consciously think about it. He's just naturally aggressive. And that's not a bad thing. Now, in our culture, it's a bad thing. But I, I think in human, in, in human nature, we need aggressive people to deal with evil. So I think eights are, are, are beautiful. As a nine, am I just checking out? Am I am I just denying how I feel, not declaring right? So your, your your autopilot is not to declare, not to say, not to speak up, but and that's where that anger comes in, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, and the one, I, my autopilot is to be a referee. Mm-hmm. You did this wrong. You made a foul. You did this. You did that, and that that makes it very very difficult to interact with you when you're just on autopilot and you're you're more concerned with what everybody's doing wrong. And it's, it's hard, it's hard to connect with you intimately. Mm-hmm. So for, what are you? You're a three. Three. Yeah. So we're both threes, which means we're not honest at all in this podcast. Right. But so our, our core issue, our triad is shame. Mm-hmm. So we have this underlying uh, emotion where we, we just kind of go back to. And so if I'm a two, right, if I'm not helping people, who am I? Mm-hmm. They're not going to like me. They're not going to love me. And so I just automatically go to everybody else's needs. Then I'm unaware of my own. I'm bitter. So as a three, if I'm not succeeding, like, right, everyone's going to see how worthless I am. Mm. You know, if I'm a four, um, you know, I had this great conversation. My daughter's a four and I showed her my friend who's an artist and I watched her as I showed a successful artist, I watched her shrink. And it's because, right, someone else's uniqueness reveals the fear of, man, I'm not special. You know, right. So that's the the autopilot, right? Of I'm just going to go to a place of shame and think about it. If you're if you're married to a two or a three or a four, or you're friends with a two or three or four, connecting with them deeply is so hard because they're embarrassed of how they feel, what they're thinking, what they're processing, mm-hmm. and that's just tough. And then you have the thinking triad, where you know they're not instinctual at all. They're you know, but their autopilot is straight in their head. Mm-hmm. And so your husband's high five, right? Mm-hmm. So right, so he's going to process things in his head and his autopilot is to leave you out of the conversation because he's having a great one in his brain. 
<laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And that's and, and so they don't engage. And then they're afraid, right, as they're managing energy. And so my autopilot is to reserve, to keep, to hold on. Um, you know, the six is just so, so afraid they're not safe and vulnerable. So try being in a relationship with that person where, you know, their autopilot is to assume your motives are bad. Mm-hmm. Their autopilot is paranoia. Their autopilot is we're all two steps from everyone dying. Mm-hmm. So then the seven, right? Um, you know, their autopilot is to flee painful experiences and run to the next fun thing. So as we interact with these people, we just need to be aware of, you know, okay, here's where this person is coming from. Um, and I think one of the things that helps me as a pastor is I'm high three, high eight and high seven, which means I pull from, you know, uh, the heart triad. I pull from the thinking triad and I pull heavily from, uh, the instinctual triad and, um, I, I can understand things, but if you're all in one triad heavily, it's going to be really hard for you to connect with somebody's heart, yeah. you know? Um, you know, so imagine you're talking to, you know, a, a friend or a coworker about, you know, illegal immigration and you're all in the head, but you're not con- connecting with their feelings and how, and, and what that feels like to separate moms from kids, you know, and you're very cerebral in your approach. Uh, or if you're in the gut triad, you're instinctually just going to say it's right or it's wrong. And here's the bizarre thing. People in the instinctual triad can look at the exact same thing and come on different Two sides. Different ways, mm-hmm. yep. So, so all eights, nines, and ones don't agree, and so uh, even ones can can a one can wholeheartedly instinctually think that well, mothers and and, and children should be separated because, and then a, 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 an instinctual one can say mothers and children should never be separated because. But just understand that. And so, and then trying to, man, trying to have a conversation between two instinctual people where there's no head and heart involved at all, right? I mean, that's a recipe for probably you're not going to be friends. And I think we see a lot of that on the internet. It's like, well, here's how I feel. Stick it, Mm. you know? And, um, you know, why isn't everyone not as smart as me? Because they're just operating according to this instinctual autopilot. And it really does you harm. And, And here's the thing is, I had this conversation with a good friend of mine. You know, we have had some tough conversations. He's mid forties like me. And he said, you know, my whole life, I've never had these problems before. And he, he believes or he struggles believing that these are new problems that have arisen. And I said, no, these have always been with you. No one's ever brought these to your attention. It's just light being shed on them for the first time. Yeah, and yeah. and that's very very uncomfortable for some people. And and let's be honest, that's why a lot of people will leave sandals mm-hmm. because they don't want light shown on their sin issues. Mm-hmm. One of my life verses is First John one nine. Anyone who says he has no sin is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Great verse for a three, <laughs> um, because we all we all have sin and and we all struggle. And how and how is my sin affecting? Um, and especially if you're you're high one, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we we unfortunately interpret sin as the, as evil. We make those synonyms, mm-hmm. and it's not. Mm. Uh, the word sin is an archery term, which means to miss the mark. There's a difference between me shooting at a bullseye and just barely missing, and me turning and intentionally shooting the person next to me who shot a bullseye. Mm-hmm. One is an act of evil. One is falling short, falling short of the glory of God, and so. We, we need to learn to, to talk about how we fall short. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's evil in our life and we need to, like, as we dig down, you go, wow, that was, that was really ugly. But sometimes it's just, it's human nature. And so mm-hmm. we got to be able to say, I blew it. I, I messed up. So um, let me speak on one thing. And hopefully I said this in my message, but um, 
there's going to be a lot of blogs. You know, Sandals is a big church. Mm -hmm. And with that means you get attention. That's just the reality. Uh, You know, early on, nobody cared what we did because we were whatever. Sandals, you know, so what is that, a resort? And, you know, I was poor. I didn't know Sandals was a resort. So, but now everybody's like, ha ha. And I'm like, okay, wish I was Nate so I can punch you in the neck. Um, But, uh, you know, people say, well, it's, it's Eastern and it's, it's, it's unbiblical. And, and um, one of the things, you know, uh, I think that's so important when we look at the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas, mm. we have the Jews in Israel, they have the word of God, they have the leadership, they have, they, they have all, of, they have all of the information right there in front of them. They have the Bible. They know more about the Bible than most people do. God shows up in Jesus and they all miss him. And then in Matthew, it says, uh, wise men from the East came asking, where's the Christ? And, and if you look at that passage, the reason they know the Christ has shown up is the stars. So our Bibles translate it wise men, but the Greek is magos, which is where we get our English word magic. They're magicians. So when somebody says, oh, you shouldn't study the Enneagram because it's Eastern or it's, you know, it's, you know, it's whatever, just know that sometimes the magicians get it right and the Bible people got it wrong. So the Bible is the source of all truth for how to connect with God, God's word, God's thoughts, God's whatever. But there are other tools in life that can help us. Mm-hmm. And so just because something is Eastern doesn't mean it can't help you. So if the magicians can find Jesus, what, what if the Enneagram can help you find you? Hmm. And, and, here's, and here's where I like it. My big problem today is not getting people to believe in God. Very few people in the world are atheists today, despite what you hear. Even atheists, when you press them, will go, well, I'm agnostic. And so what that means is there might be a God I don't know. You know, I don't care. So, okay, let's not talk about God. Let's talk about you. The Enneagram, if someone undertakes it in an honest way, will reveal their sin. Now, if you're a sinner, now we have a problem. What's the solution? Well, I have this thing called the gospel that's good news. And so if we can lead people to an honest conversation with themselves, if they're at a place where they're ready to be real with themselves, they're ready for a real conversation with God. And I can share the gospel. And, and now, man, it's good news because, wow, I've got some bad news here. I'm not as good as I thought. I'm not as perfect as I thought. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not as healthy as I thought. And I think, I think the Enneagram is a great tool. The other thing is it's very popular right now. People are talking about it. People that are not going to church are talking about it. So why wouldn't mm-hmm. we talk about it and then lead people to Christ? And you're going to, you know, please bring a friend every single week. I, I, I'm going to, you know, this week on social media and every week, I'm inviting you. Think about bringing a friend, bring a friend, bring a friend, because people need God. Mm-hmm. And the further our culture is getting from God, the closer we are to, to unhealth, um, which actually is Romans 1. Did we talk about that? Mm-hmm. So Romans 1, as people rejected God and made up ideas of what God was like, he handed them over to a depraved mind. And I think that's what you're seeing in our society. Mm. As we reject God, God says, okay, I'm going to let you pursue what you pursue. And, and the end, as I told you, is death. Mm. But here you go. And so, so guys, just know, and don't argue with people over the Enneagram. Just talk about how it's helped you. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's how it's helped me connect with God. Here's how it's helped me connect with my family. Here's how it's connected me connect with myself. And I can tell you, my wife and I, and this is why, you know, I wanted to call it relational remix. Tammy and I don't fight often, but when we do fight over 23 uh, years of marriage, 
we've seemed to fight about the same things over and over and over again. And it felt hopeless. I love God. She loves God. We don't, I don't believe in divorce. She doesn't believe in divorce. We want a healthy marriage, but we were coming at this from just a really place of brokenness that we could not fix. The Enneagram helped me to understand her and it helped her to understand me. We're not perfect, but at least we understand where each other's coming from because, you know, um, I can give you our, our, our last big fight. Um, and it, we we're on vacation in Hawaii, staying at a five-star resort. I was so angry at her. Within 10 minutes of arriving, I wanted to leave the island. Mm. And by the way, Tammy and I have had our biggest fights. I don't know why this is always on vacation. And I think it's when we let down our guard and we get mm-hmm. out of our routines. Mm-hmm. We're kind of stuck with ourselves. But what my wife was, is she was concerned because she's a six. She was afraid of where we were going to stay after this hotel. So she wasn't even worried about the hotel we were at. She was worried about where we were going to be in five days. And she's processing that. Uh, Her high one, right, she's telling me what I should have done. She's shitting on me. I'm a three. The most important thing to me for the vacation is it's successful. Mm -hmm. We, this is not a success. Like I have utterly failed. I've done all the planning I've done all the preparing. I've put this thing together. And, you know, we're, we're there 10 minutes. I don't want to look at the beach. I don't want to go in the water. I want to go home. I don't want to be with you. That was 10 minutes. I, I was so mad and she was so upset and afraid, right? That's where she goes to. So my eight, I go to my eight um, and, and the, the three runs to the nine. And right, the, the, the underlying emotion of the nine is anger, even though they're not aware of it. Mm-hmm. And so it can come out and boy, when it comes out, whoo, it comes out. And so I go to the nine, I'm also eight, I have high eight, right? So that's where I go to the power triad. Uh, and then I could probably get on on my little high horse and give it one, here's what you shouldn't have done. <laughs> um, but it just, it, we, we almost sabotaged a very expensive vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Enneagram helped us understand that, oh, you're afraid of something that hasn't happened yet. So I need to understand that. I need to listen mm. and I need to hear you out. And, and and so it helped us understand where we were coming from, where I think in an unhealthy way, here's what I would say, guys. Oh, she's just crazy. Mm. She's being ridiculous. And so what I would do is I would minimize her emotions that I don't understand. And I think this is what we do with people. Mm-hmm. We minimize emotions we don't understand. Mm. And here's the thing is, you use the word empathy a couple of times, and this is kind of my my take on that. And you can tell me, I don't like the word empathy because I can only empathize with things I've gone through. What I have to have is sympathy for things I don't understand. Mm. And so I want, I want to, cause we use the word empathy a lot in our culture. It's like, wait a minute, you know, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a upper middle income white dude. Like I can't, I can't have empathy with people of color, minorities, poor. So, but I need to have sympathy and I can go, okay, I can see that not from your perspective, but I need to understand that. And so it's, I, I just think we have to not minimize what we don't understand or what we don't feel mm-hmm. and, um, and not write off every emotion or every feeling that we don't get is ridiculous. And that's why I would say it was the error of about 15 years of my marriage. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's yeah. in a really negative way. I would say, oh, that's stupid. Well, that's mm-hmm. real helpful for a healthy marriage, you know, um, you know, just simply because I don't agree. And so it's, 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 the, it's, we, we're doing this series because Christianity is a relational movement. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, the Bible has some really difficult challenges. You know, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, culturally, right, the submissive portion to the women is where we throw our hands up. 2,000 years ago, that, that was the expected verse. The one that shocked their culture was, husbands, love your wives mm-hmm. as you love your own body and, 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 and as Christ loved the church and, and died for it, right? So in the ancient world, you abandon your wife, you can get another one. The Christian teaching was, no, you love her as you love yourself. So what is he saying? She has equal status with you. Mm-hmm. And, and we miss that. But so there's some really things there. And so, um, you know, love your wife with understanding. Whoa, man, how do I do that when we're different genders, right? And, and I don't care what anybody says, genders are different. We are different. We, we approach things from different ways. And I actually think that's a good thing. Um, you know, two of my uh, good friends are gay and they've been together for, oh man, I think they've been together for 30 years now. They talk about when they fight it's two dudes. And I mean, it's testosterone filled. It's ugly because there's not, there's a difference in personality, but there's not a difference in gender to, to, to mediate. And so we oftentimes think about, oh, we're so different. Like that's a bad thing. And my friend said, I can see why God, this is what he told me. I can see why God wants us to be different genders. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? He, he could see, cause he feels safe with me. You know, we we can share that, but he but he has perspective where he's like, man, two dudes in a fight, whew, you know, it can get it can get pretty ugly, and because um, neither guy's backing down, mm. so, um, yeah, the enneagram, man, I, I feel like I'm just I'm talking too much, but the enneagram is just it's a great tool to help me see me and to at least give me some tools to try to understand people who are different from me. Mm -hmm. Because every one of us has somebody at work we don't get. We got a family member we don't get. And I think in our hearts, we want to write them off and throw them away. Mm -hmm. And yet Jesus says things like, love your enemy. Yeah, it's it's compassion, right? Yeah. It's it's understanding its perspective. And so one of the things I like that you say and one of the things that I hear about the Enneagram where people, you know, oh, it's Eastern this yeah. and that. And, you know, I, I can use a hammer to build a house or I can use a hammer yeah. to destroy a car, right? And yeah. so what I use the hammer for is what it's gonna be at. Yeah. You know, and, and what I like that we keep saying at Sandals is this is a tool. This is not the word of God. No. It's not the Bible. This is, this is underneath the Bible. Yes. It's just a tool tool to help you see yourself. And I think one of the things that you're talking about where I think a lot of people miss it is it's gaining perspective. Yes. Right. So if I disagree with someone, but I can gain their perspective, which is actually a gift of the nine, Yeah. right? The nine can gain multiple perspectives. I'm a three, so I don't get your perspective, but let's move forward. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and so it's gaining perspective. If I gain more perspective about myself or about you, well, now I can interact better. Yes. Right. And, and I'm not just going to be in my own world. And that's the thing that I think a lot of us are scared of is getting outside of our own minds, getting outside of our own world. Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, psychology has kind of been kind of a proponent of this, yeah. which is it's it's focusing on the self, but we don't live in a world that is purely focused on self. I live in community. I live with yes. other, I interact with other, I work with other. It's not just about me. Mm-hmm. And the Enneagram allows us to get outside of that as a tool, not as God's word, 
right? Not as this thing that is is above that, but it's just an opportunity for us to gain perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think once we gain perspective, everything changes, Yeah, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's what you're doing in that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Any thoughts from your holiness as you sit oh, up in your nine? Uh, no, I just think that's so interesting because the Enneagram has helped me start to unpack that and realize that not everyone sees the way the world the way that I do. Yeah. It's helpful for me to see that other people see the world that I do too. So I don't yeah. feel like I'm just out there on my own. The only person who feels like I need to stand up for like seeing everyone's perspective, but mm-hmm. like it's helped me in my marriage and really like Tyler and I found out our types while we were engaged. Like remember, I think you handed me one of your Instagram books when I was staying at your house. And you're like, you should read this on the four. I think that might help you understand Tyler. Yeah. And like, yeah, just starting to understand his perspective of where he comes from. So the things mm-hmm. that I say to him sometimes in my, no, you need to just like do it this way. Or like, why did you like, why are you being like that? Hit him in such a different way yeah, yeah. because of how he sees the world and the perspective that he's coming from. And I think it's probably, we still have the same fights all the time, just coming from where we are. But I think it's helped us save a lot more of those fights if i can stop and see oh if i say this this way to him right now it's gonna hit in such a different way than it would hit me if i said that yeah so yeah, yeah absolutely super helpful. yeah and i mean even when you so like same thing for my marriage right so i'm a three eight and i have high one right so i'm gonna run i'm gonna be a train on the track and i know what you should have done yes. in the process so <laughs> that's a hard combination mm. my wife is a nine right so a lot of our marriage, it was, you know, well, here's where we need to go. Here's this. And I'm just going right. And, um, you know, to learn that, man, my wife has a lot of perspective and wisdom and she has a lot that she's going to say, but because of where I'm at and then her nine, she's not going to always say that. So for me, that helped me sit back and go, well, wait a minute, how do I help her be more declarative? Mm -hmm. Because I'm just kind of charging all the time. And our marriage has just increased so much Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. from perspective, just from awareness, because like we were talking about, we all have these things in our life that have added up to the people that we are, right? So we're not just soul we're also, yeah. you know, brains that yeah. have a learning capability, neural pathways that have all these connections that are happening because of the things that are going on in our lives. And if we can get tools to help us understand that part as well mm-hmm. and combine that with honoring the Lord and going to his word and being a part of our church and things like that. I mean, I just don't get why people wouldn't want to go towards that yeah. because it's just so powerful. It's so helpful. So in a lot of our relationships, Though we don't necessarily get to sit down and have this person's Enneagram scores sitting in front of us. Um, We may not know their whole background and life story. What are some good ways to start, even as we're starting to understand our own perspective, how do we start bringing that into conversations with people Mm. so that, because right, like I feel like a lot of this conversation, I'm like, we're all standing up on these hills with these walls behind us of our perspective. How are we ever going to talk to each other? What are some ways to start breaking that down and starting to understand people when we don't necessarily have their Enneagrams. Like we know our spouse and we know our close people, but yeah. how do we start doing that when mm. we don't necessarily have those numbers? Yeah, I would just say that the first thing I have to do is just be aware that people are different. Mm. So I think that's the, the greatest gift you can give yourself is not everybody's going to think the way I do. Not everybody's going to feel the way I do. Not everybody's going to have the instincts I do. So uh, once I give people permission to be different, I can engage with them. I would encourage you not to number people that you don't know, but just oh, just, just took out half of our date night conversation. Oh, sorry, but just to <laughs> but just to say, oh, here's how I'm experiencing this person. This person is coming at me, so I'm guessing they're instinctual. So, what would be a good way to respond to a person if they are in fact an eight, a nine, or a one? Mm. You know what? How 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 would I do that? So, with like eights, 
Um, you know, don't be angry, but be clear and declarative. Hey, I need you to back off. You know, very, 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 very clear. I need you to chill out. I need you to stop and just be ready for them to come back at you and just, and just, hey, you know, that's what's going on. Um, you know, threes, we're not present. I need you to be present. I need you to listen to what I'm saying. I realize you're going to change the world, but right now I need you to change this diaper, right? <laughs> so uh, those are the conversations that you have to have. So I just would be very, very careful. We don't want you to be an expert on the Enneagram. We want you to be an expert on yourself. And what's most important is knowing yourself so you know how you receive people and how you handle that. Um, and, and then begin to uh, operate in a different way. Like I'll just give you an example. This was my philosophy literally for 15 years at Sandals Church as the pastor. I'm going to manage and lead people. I'm ashamed of this, the way I want to be led and managed. This is like the most destructive thing I've, I could ever do at our church mm. because not everybody's like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People don't want to be, you know, like I want to be challenged, but given options. You can't do that with an eight. You got to tell them, Here, here's what you got to do. Like if they work for you. You can't give them an option because they didn't care about your options in the first place. You know, they're going to, boom, they're going to do their thing. Um, You know, uh, you have to challenge nines with inertia. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Let's, you know, especially if you're a three, I need you to run it a little faster. Um, You know, you got to tell threes, hey, I need you to care about me in the same way you care about the goal. People, people have to matter. And so you have to learn how, how to talk about that. And, um, and again, my unhealth, here's what I did as a three. I said, I'm just going to work harder and be an example. And then I run to my nine um, when people don't do what I want to do. And I sit in my office and I sulk and I got mm. bitter. So the, the nine doesn't have outbursts of anger. What they do is they get bitter. And that's what happened to me. So I run to my nine and I'm just sitting in this ocean of bitterness. And um, actually when I started doing triathlons, I would go on these five, six hour bike rides. I started listening to what was coming out of my mouth. I talked to myself. I know people think that's weird, <laughs> but I'm a self-talker and it was really dark and really angry and really ugly. And so if you're a nine, a great way to check in with your heart is what do you say to people when they're not around? So nines can be declarative oftentimes if that person's not in front of them. Mm-hmm. So you buried your your feelings in the moment, but when they're gone, you have great talk. Mm. Listen, listen to yourself. Wow, that's really... That's really angry. That's really ugly. That's really, that's nasty, you know? Um, and so I, you know, I, I had, I had to deal with that. And so you guys know the story of Voltron, right? So Voltron is, is the person who will forever remain nameless, but I got into this horrible relationship with a person at Sandals where I felt betrayed, stabbed, hurt, wounded. And I just started praying this prayer. God bless, God, help me to forgive them the way you've forgiven me. Uh, Father, bless them the way that you've blessed me and help me to mean this prayer. Mm. Six months I prayed that. Yeah. And and that's how God brought healing because I was so bitter. I was so bitter. And, and, and that's where the nine is. You don't say how you feel. You don't declare what you believe is wrong. You're just burying it. Mm. And that's what I was doing. And it's so much f- more freeing to say, but as, as a nine, it's scary to say, here's where I feel hurt. Mm-hmm. This is what I feel like you've done wrong. Um. And so, uh, and that's where, where, you know, as you grow in your understanding of, of your own number and where you go, the three runs to the six and the nine. So in health, we go to the six, which is we're loyal. We work together with people. So the six is the loyalist. Mm-hmm. In unhealth, we go to the nine and we take on the unhealthy qualities of the nine. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really, really sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and you need to understand that about yourself and... Because you cannot change people. 
you can only change how yourself and how you respond to people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just the reality. And that's what's so wrong with our government. Our government is trying to change everybody. And we've lost that rugged individualism of America. And hey, take care of yourself. And, and, and that's your responsibility. And, and, and as I think as Christians, we've lost that as well. Mm. You know, um, I mean, Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Well, if you're not going to work at your own self-growth and self-healing, why should soul care waste our time? Mm. Why should we pray with you week after week? You know, um, you know, who's the comedian? I'm not going to pray for that. What's that guy's name? <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of his name. He's, he's this, he, oh, Chris, Paul Christ. I'm not going to pray for that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, and so he's obviously probably high eight, you know, he's like, I'm not praying for that. Um, but we, we need to, I want you to become an expert on yourself. Mm. And again, as you read the Bible, what's, what's your biggest hindrance to understanding the Bible? It's you. Mm. It's you. What does God want me to, to, to think and feel? And, and, and what is God asking me to do in this moment? Mm. And, you know, it's easy to think what someone else should do. It's, it's why, uh, you know, so many, I think young people today are socialist. It's easy to decide how someone else should spend their money. <laughs> That's mm. much easier than saying, should I have taken $200,000 out for basket weaving major? Right. That's, that's a question that you, you need to ask for yourself. And, and it's much easier to declare what people should do with their money rather mm. than with your own money. It's easier to talk about how someone else should have responded rather than what you should have responded and done. And, and uh, it's just better to, to look at yourself. And, and again, people don't understand. I, I had this conversation with an employee at Sandals yesterday. Why is our vision real with self? Mm. Why are you and I having this conversation? Because you're not being real with yourself. And, um, and it's easy. It's easy for me to present on the Enneagram and forget it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife was having a tough day, uh, yesterday. And I said, you know, we had this great speaker on Thursday that came and shared with our staff about when we're vulnerable, when we're feeling insecure, when we're tired, those aren't the best times to respond. Would you, would you resonate with any of those four feelings? And she's like, she's so mad at me. (laughs) So, um, she's so funny. She's all, nobody's on my team. And I'm all, I'm on your team. Good night. Take a little nap. I'll see you when you get out. And, um, and she's so funny, you know, she's so cute. Um, and we hung out that night and we had a great talk, but even if you present material, you can still screw it up. Yeah. And I think you said something really important. So we get in our own way basically. And so kind of what you're saying is how do I engage somebody that if I don't have their Enneagram or numbers, I think the first thing that we got to do is we got to understand ourselves. Yeah. Because when I feel understood and I know more about me, it now allows me to interact with the world more effectively, mm-hmm. right? Because I know when this is too much of me in the room, I yeah. know, you know, if someone's saying something, so for instance, uh, the word bud, I don't know if you've had anybody call you bud. Right. But uh, you don't like that. I don't like that. You Mm -hmm. know, unless you're older than me and you're in a mentor position with me, Mm -hmm. if you call me bud, then Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm all for it. When you're younger than me and you call me bud, you know, I'm like, who are Mm -hmm. you? Yeah, yeah. You know, well, that's a me thing. I'm going to start calling you bud. Yeah. It's okay if you do, but that's what I get. I get boss and chief chief. Yeah. I call you boss all the time. Well, I am your boss. So, but no, like random people. Hey boss. Hey chief. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I think I've, I now look too old to be dude. <laughs> right? you're, you're young enough to be bud. Like I yeah. graduated beyond bud dude, bro. To, to boss, hey boss chief. Hey chief. Commander. Yeah. They're looking yeah. at all my, my gray hairs. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that's, yeah. 
Yeah, they can't it's see weird. my hairs, but yeah, um, occasionally, sir, but not often. <laughs> so, so, so that's a me thing, yeah. right? So I understand that, that about me. You think that's a me I, thing? It's probably right? your Scottish, you know, like just we're gonna kill the English heritage. <laughs> don't yeah. look down on me. Yeah, don't yeah. look down on yeah. me. Yeah. So when someone says that, though, I've encountered that people my age or people that I don't know, and they say that, and immediately something rises up in me. Well, because I'm aware of that in myself, I now can, you know, because what we naturally do is we react, even though, right? Yes. And and so for us, it's understanding ourselves better to know how much of me is getting projected onto this person. Yeah. How much of me is interpreting this message because of who I am, mm-hmm. right? And then what I tell people a lot of times is stop seeking to win and to defend. Seek to understand. Yeah. Ask questions. So too many times we want to we want to win a conversation. We want to defend in a conversation rather than just saying, "Hey, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Where are you right. coming from with that?" Yeah. You know. And I think the defend and win is immaturity because yeah. I would say I would say I was very much that way early on. So um, what, the strengths quest test, which is also it really helps people, especially in professional business. But mm-hmm. mine was the competitor, mm-hmm. so it didn't matter what it was. I'm going to win and. Um, you know, and I, I mean, it was probably in my mid thirties where I realized you can be right and still be wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, whoa, you know, you can, you can win your point and lose your marriage. <laughs> you can win an argument and lose your job. Yeah. And so you just got to understand that, okay, if my most important thing here is winning, I need to, I need to let that go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because you understand that about you, yeah, it now changes your interaction with somebody else. Yeah. Right? And I would say this maturity is not a given. It's an action. Mm-hmm. You have to act on life and and the world around you in order to become mature. Because very very uh, few old people are mature. So there was a guy named M. Scott Peck. You ever read any stuff by him? So he was he was kind of the the Christian guru uh, of the eighties, and and nobody knows who it is anymore. But he wrote he wrote the Road Less Traveled. He wrote People of the Lie. He wrote um, oh I can't think of some of his other books, but. Um, but he talked about the veneer of maturity thins as we age. Mm. And so that's why old people are, can be very hard to manage or to deal with because they've never grown up. Mm. And, and, and now you're older, you're achy, you're tired and you're irritable. And so you revert back to your childlike ways because you never really grew up. And um, it was, it, it was just, that was one of those books that, that, that touched me. And so, um, yeah, you should read him. You would like him. He became a Christian. Mm-hmm. He was a psychologist for, uh, I think, the U.S. Army, and he was studying the uh, massacre at Malai in um, in Vietnam. So if you know that story, uh, it's a bunch of uh, really good kids from middle America that went to Vietnam and ended up killing a bunch of innocent uh, civilians in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And so it became a study. Why did this happen? Why, why did normal, uh, seemingly healthy people uh, either participate or just watch? You know, like, um, you know, when you think of like the Rodney beating thing mm-hmm. that sparked the LA riots, you know, you have some officers actively beating. And so you want to say, well, they're evil, terrible people. So the study is why, why do seemingly good, normal people in a moment like this, why did, why does that happen? And it was through that investigation that he became to, he, he started to believe in evil. And from that, he started to believe in Satan. And from that, mm. he found God. He found God. So he was an atheist. Wow. And and became one of the greatest Christian writers, uh, American writers of, of the 1980s, 1990s. Mm. So Road Less Traveled, People of the Lie, um, and I can't think of his other great book, but yeah. and then he wrote a dumb book on golf, 
which I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> How do you deter from all these you retire. Serious, right? All these no, serious I think somebody throws a bunch of money at you and they're like, hey, we want you to write one more book. He's like, I really like golf. That's why you get the <laughs> NBA stars left. like doing the like insurance commercials. Yeah. Shaq's like, on everything right now, I think. So <laughs> yeah, it's like what just happened? <laughs> yeah, boy, we just diverted. That's my we fault. Did. That's my spiritual gift. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you seen like even so you lead our soul care mm-hmm. ministry, um, yeah. which is where we get a chance to connect with people who are working through hard times. Have you seen even the small amount of exposure to the Enneagram that we've had so far in our church. Have you seen that affect how you guys go about things in soul care or even how people can tend to present themselves in those conversations? Yeah. Are you starting to see that affect those things at all? Yeah, I have. What, I, what I've seen for some people, so I, I see a, a good and a bad in it, right? For But what a lot of people are starting to come to is a framework of understanding. So, hey, I'm a three, I'm a six, so I know this. Where it, it gives us language, it gives us a framework to be able to kind of derive from, right? But then what I've seen, some people take it really well, you know, in the understanding of, hey, I'm a three, so I understand that I have an issue with lying. I understand I want to present well. You know, this is my struggle. And it's like, okay, that's great. That's great that you realize that. Let's work through that. Let's go to that. But then what I've seen is the opposite end where people go, well, I'm just a six, so... And, and it's almost this, they, they take it as this, this is, like you know, the explanation for... this is the explanation. So leave me alone. I'm yes. just going to do my thing, you know? And, and that's that, that's that opposite end where I think there's so much anxiety and fear of having to face that we now just accept. Yeah. Right. And, and that's not who guys call us to be. That's not what we're trying to be at Sandals is, is it's about learning about being real with self, God and others so that we can keep moving forward, right. Glorifying God and, mm-hmm. and building relationships and, and building communities in the Lord's name. And so it, I've seen kind of it go both ways, mm-hmm. you know, and, it, um, but yeah, people are coming in now with more of a framework. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it can be helpful and I think it can be dangerous because mm-hmm. you can oversimplify people. Yep. People are not simplified. They're complex. And so what, what the Enneagram doesn't tell you is it doesn't tell you their story. Mm-hmm. And that's super, super important is understanding somebody's story and somebody's experiences. Um, so don't just judge the book by the cover. So I would say the Enneagram is the cover. And then what we need to do is look inside and understand your story. What's happened to you? Are you healthy? Are you not healthy? Um, you know, where, where are you at in life? And so, you know, don't categorize people and, and write people off. You know, it makes me sad, especially at Sandals where people don't want to be eights mm. and um, eights get a lot of stuff done. Eights, eights are, are, are great when they're healthy, just like all the numbers are. And so really it, it's not a matter of, of what your number is. Um, it's a matter of how are you moving towards health? And the way you move towards health is you deal with what's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how we like, you know, so much of the thinking of the of of the '90s, and you know, the guys like Bill Hybels and and so many of these great pastors that have fallen. Uh, this is what I was trained in the '90s: don't work on your weaknesses, work on your strengths. Mm. Well, what if you hate people and you're a pastor? What if, like, I mean, I, I, I here's the thing: is if if there comes a point in time where in life where your weaknesses overcome your strengths, you're you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, uh, are you football fans, either of you? Yeah. So you know the what the Raiders just went through with uh, their um, Brown, their yeah, wide leaving. receiver. You know that guy's now he's been run out of two teams in one year. Mm-hmm. He's maybe the most talented receiver in football, but if his weaknesses become more of his distraction, 
he's not going to get to play and he's going to lose out on millions of dollars. Now, life isn't about money, but it is when you're a football player mm. and you have a short window in football to play. Yeah. Um, because football players age like soft cheese at a party. You know what I mean? <laughs> it looks great. You put it out and then at the end you're like, don't touch that. Um, so it, it could destroy his life and it, it could use him. He has an immense talent. Mm. And so here's the thing that I want you to know at churches, God has blessed you. You're beautiful. You're amazing. You're talented. And I don't ever want you to not believe that that's true, but there's a dark side mm-hmm. and there's a shadow gifting that if you're not aware of that, it's going to eat everything that's beautiful about you for lunch. And, um, it's going to destroy you. And we're going to see what's going to happen to Brown. You know, he's playing for the Patriots. Maybe, maybe he makes it, maybe he's kicked off the team week one. Mm. And, um, you know, when I think athletes are a great example of how personalities can overcome talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that's the reality is when you become a greater liability than, than your giftedness, I mean, you're just, you're just done. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, the less gifted you are. So we're talking about superstars. Most of us, we're not superstars. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I love you. You're, you're important. God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. <laughs> You're not a superstar. So what mm. that means is your weaknesses can quickly outpace your strengths. So we better deal with that. Yeah. And that's why marriages fail. You know, um, you know, if you're happy to be in your marriage, you better work on your marriages and see what you can do. And you better work together because it's real easy. And, and people are turning over marriages left and right because, well, this is just who I am. Mm-hmm. Well, you're a butthead, mm. you know, um, you're a jerk. That that's well. This is just how God made me. No, God made you to be redeemed by Christ, and that's actually your shadow side of who God made you to be. And so, what was a strength has now become a weakness, and now we don't we don't like you or want you around. And um, unfortunately, you know, I I don't like giving advice to people who aren't ready to listen. And sometimes, mm-hmm. people what people need is to lose everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the, and that's the thing is, like the story of Jonah. You've read Jonah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't end well. Like he gets swallowed by a fish, taken down to the depths, he's dead for three days, is vomited on the ocean, and the story ends with him unrepentant and angry at God. You're like, you know, not everybody gets it. And I think that that's really hard for us as parents, um, as friends, as family members. I wish that everybody got it. Now, um, we need to have hope, um, but you want to go crazy, try to change somebody that doesn't want to change, you know? Oh my gosh, Jim Carrey used to be on this show in the 90s. Oh, what was it called? In Living Color. In Living Color. Oh my gosh. So my favorite episode is when he plays a lifeguard in a jacuzzi. (laughs) And he's trying to rescue people who aren't drowning in a jacuzzi. And I I just literally would, would cry. You know, this would be so much easier if you don't resist. And, um, and, and Jim Carrey's gone nuts, but he used to be really talented and funny. Again, his weaknesses have overcome his talent. But trying to help somebody that doesn't think they're drowning, just watch YouTube that. It's hilarious. Yeah. And we even see that in soul care. So people come through the soul care process, right? And we have people that we've trained to uh, start the conversation with them to pray over, you know, what might be a route for them for care. And we have people that come in and then we say, hey, here's what would be best for you in this season. They're like, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, it just, it's, 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 it's just very surprising how we can get so lost in ourselves mm-hmm. and, yeah. and not see wisdom, not see what it could look like if I actually kind of followed some of these steps. Yeah. It's funny. You know, my, 
uh, my mom has plantar fasciitis and, um, you know, and I'm trying to tell her, you know, Hey, here's what you need to do that, you know, this is a problem from your knee all the way down. And, you know, I'm an iron man. So I, I live in plantar fasciitis world. So I understand what this is. And in her mind, she's, she's moving towards, I'm going to meet the doctor. He's going to give me a shot and this will be fixed. Mm. And I know that the shot is a temporary mask Mm -hmm. that will relieve the pain, but it will not address the symptom at all. And I think that that's our world is what we want is to be numbed rather than deal with the problem, the source of pain. Yeah. And and that's our culture. Give me a pill. Like, I don't want to change the way I eat. Give me a pill. I don't want to uh, exercise. Give me a pill. Give me a shot. Give me this. Give mm-hmm. me that. And and so much of the opioid, you know, epidemic is 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 overly placed on doctors when the reality is we live in a world where if the doctor doesn't do what you want, you, you, you file a complaint, you complain, and, and eventually the doctor's just gonna give you the pills because mm. what they want is you to get the flip out of the office. Now you say, well, they should. Well, we all should. Mm. We all should be better. But at the end of the day, you're just like, look, get out of my office. And so they started prescribing pills that became addictive. And, it, and now we have this huge epidemic. And so yes, doctors should be more responsible and then, you know, don't send me an email. But we've lost responsibility mm-hmm. that I need I need to listen to my doctor and I need to do what's said. And and you know this, uh, most patients never finish their medication, which is why yep. the doctor says, make sure you finish all your medication. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people who get uh, transplants don't die follow, anyways yeah. because they don't follow through with the medications and the protocol. Mm. You know, somebody died so you can live. That's how you usually you get an organ transplant. But and yet you don't change your behavior and your lifestyle, so it's it's really hard to change, which is why we need Jesus because mm-hmm. He can do it. He can supernaturally empower and gift us to be different. And um, you know, I, I I'm scared to death of who my girls are going to date and marry. And 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 one of the reasons I'm so afraid is because they're like, "Well, you changed, Dad." Oh. I'm like, let's not let's no. not shoot for the miracle here. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. God. God radically intervened in my life, but I responded to God's grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, God is not in the business of, 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 of forcing himself on others. That's not who God is. And so people have to respond to the grace of God and the work of the spirit. And if you don't, you don't. And, and most people don't because it's easier to say, give me a pill. You know, most people don't want to go to hell, but they also don't want to live like they're going to heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and that's really, really sad. Yeah. So. so as we wrap up right now, you know, we're talking to the Enneagram again. Some of our Enneagram content is our most watched content on sandalschurch.tv, on our YouTube channel. Um, so I bet there are a lot of people listening in on this who maybe are hesitant to, one of the huge things we're asking people to do is get into a group or start a conversation mm-hmm. as we work through the Enneagram this time, because it's important to unpack this with other people. Yeah. Um, what would you say to some of the barriers that people are probably feeling as they think about actually stepping into a group or having a regular conversation with people about this? What are some of those barriers that we need to be aware of in ourselves that may be keeping us from stepping into those conversations so that we can unpack this with other people. Yeah. I think the first thing is, is we're all afraid. Um, you know, we're afraid, you know, like if you're high one, um, you're afraid of being wrong. That's mm-hmm. your greatest fear. My wife's a six. She's afraid of being in trouble, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so we're afraid. What I would say is, man, if you're married and your spouse won't, won't do a group, I would say, Hey, let's talk about this on Sunday afternoons at two o'clock. Let's start with us. 
And let's start working through these conversations and, and talking mm-hmm. about this through the series. And then as we get healthy, healthier, let's not just call it health, healthier, maybe we can invite somebody, one of our friends into our group. And I think that's the best way. The best growth is organic. And then I would encourage you to get on a team because you're always going to feel separate from God when you are not partnering in his work. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. Um, you know, like I had this weekend off uh, and I was all through Hunter Park. I went through every single ministry. It's my day off, but I love the church and I, and I want to know what's going on. And I can't know what's going on when I'm on stage. And look, we need a lot of volunteers. We're, mm-hmm. we're at, at Hunter Park. We're 45% of what we need in children's ministry. That's what yeah. they told me. Yeah. Like that's that's a sandals problem. That's a selfishness issue, mm-hmm. and and we we need to address that because telling kids about Jesus, what is more important in your world than telling a kid God loves them? Think about what's happening in our school systems. Think about what's happening, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the state curriculum where uh, if you have kids, um, mute this, but in California we're teaching anal sex as a safe sex practice, mm-hmm. like. So if you didn't mute that, that's on you. Um, <laughs> like that's that, that's what our educational system is teaching. Who's going to teach our kids? And so you can protest, you can complain, or whatever, but you won't give you won't give me an hour a week to teach our kids mm. to love them and care for them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Which is, you know, when Jesus says, "What's the greatest commandment?" He's actually quoting Deuteronomy six. So love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That comes out of Deuteronomy six. And then the next verse in Deuteronomy is, and teach these things to your children. Mm. That's the very mm. next thing. Teach these things to your children. So you, got, you need to know what the greatest commandment is. And, and we, need to, we, we need to look at the church as a family and teach these kids because they matter. Uh, and you're going to hear me say this on our dating episode. So I'm going to say it now. Look, if you're dating a guy, the best thing you can do is get him to work with young children. Because guys struggle with nonverbal communication and reading emotions and facial expressions. Well, kids that can't talk, guess what you have to do? You have to read nonverbal communication and facial expressions, uh, and, and you need to be patient. And man, the best, the best thing you could look for in a spouse is someone who's good with kids, mm-hmm. because kids don't give back. And so you wanna be with somebody that can give and pour out. And I, I just would say, man, challenge the person you're dating, let's serve together and let's do this together. And if they're like, nope, you know, that's, that's maybe not for you. So, you know, because relationships as Stephanie's been baptized into, <laughs> uh, I liked it when she was my single friend for all these years and had all these pie in the sky notions of what dating and marriage <laughs> dating was going to be, like... uh, right. It's, it's a lot of service and it's a lot of work mm-hmm. and you know, that that's just life. Yeah. You know, I'm the head of my household. I pay for about 80% of everything that's generated in our home. I do dishes, I scoop poop, I help with that, you know, and I watch my kids, you know, struggle with that. That is, that is becoming an adult. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, part of spiritual growth, becoming healthy is moving from a consumer to a contributor. Mm-hmm. And we live in a consumer society. So I've got to move towards contributing. And really there's just a couple ways to contribute. Children's ministry, small group ministry, ushers and greeters and parking lot. I work really, really, oh, and soul care, sorry, soul care. (laughs) I work really, really hard at keeping it simple. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get bombarded every day with all the things we should be doing. Mm -hmm. I get shitted on every day. I have 45% 
of what I need in children's ministry. Mm, I'm yeah. not going to start an outreach to someone else. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to care for the kids down the street when I can't care for the kids in my home and yeah. sandals is my home. So, well, that was a sermon. <laughs> I hope you were convicted. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go surf. Yes. Yeah. You're going to go surf or serve? Both. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, guys. We are so excited to continue to unpack this together as we start talking through things like dating and marriage. Mm. We've got a lot of great stuff coming. Conflict for the nines. Uh, I was just going to avoid that, actually. Yes, so. that was good. Yeah. You're going to skip that weekend. That was cool. Yeah, I'm just gonna, yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah, the eights are going to be there on the front row. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nines just hide from eights most of the time. Yes. So. Mm. <laughs> All right. Love you guys. Hope you enjoy this uh, the sermon series and be praying yeah. for it and bring a friend because we need people who don't go to church to come to church so their lives can be changed. Mm. Well said.